Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I did not go to art school, but I love to pick up weird books about art and use bookstores. Hi, and I'm Betty. I'm also someone who did not go to art school, but I used to be a gallery guide at an art gallery back when that job was feasible before there was a global pandemic. So I also like to read books, but currently because I work at a hospital, I haven't been doing that. So I like listening to Quinn talk about art books that she has read as well. Basically, what happened is a couple months ago, I went to a used bookstore and I found a book about internet art from 2004. And I said to myself, ooh, that's exciting. And I really wanted to see what this book from now 17 years ago had to say about the internet. And so I have read the book, and what I discovered is that it's way more than one topic. So we're going to have a little bit of a series popping in and out of episodes that are kind of centered around, like, internet art from like the mid 90s to the mid 2000s. But I thought we would start today by talking about a basic overview of what's known as like net.art and sort of like very early, like mid to late 90s art creation online. You know, that's interesting. So I obviously haven't had a chance to read this book. I did briefly look up trying to procure this book when you first mentioned it. And I think I would have had to buy a used copy. It's not quite available. But I am interested to learn about or hear you talk about if there's any, like, it's interesting that not only is this a book about kind of early internet art, a historic text about the history of internet art, it also is from 17 years ago, because I'm also interested in what did this person or people back in 2004 think of this? So it's like, There's kind of multiple layers of history, it seems like. Yeah. So it was written by Rachel Green. I actually was not as weirded out by it as I thought I was going to be because it's already talking about a lot of stuff that's like 10 plus years in the past from the time that it was written. So it didn't totally feel like Bizarro World, but there was some stuff that did stand out to me, like... Like, she just used the word the net a lot, which is not common parlance anymore for the internet. <laughs> um, okay. she, t- she brought up Netscape Navigator more than once, wow. um, which I, I've barely heard of. And even though, like, by the 2004, like, things were starting to shift in terms of the social internet, it hadn't fully, like, Facebook hadn't been invented yet. That wasn't... Like, the definition of the internet was not Google, Facebook, these kinds of things. Mm. But there were already, like, some shifts towards that direction. So it didn't feel, like, totally out of time. But there were just, like, little things here and there sprinkled throughout that I was like, oh, yeah, this book is from 2004. (laughs) There was a brief moment, don't be offended, when you you said, oh, this book is from 2004. I was like, was Quinn born yet? I mean, I know you were. (laughs) How old do you think I am? No, I know, I know. Well, what's funny is this book more or less starts talking about stuff from 1994. That's about the year when things really kick off, which is before I was born. Mm, okay. My next question was going to be like, what what was some of the earliest stuff that was brought up in the book? Uh, because I'm trying to think about if I was alive. And I was I was alive in 1994. I was like three years old, probably. 
basically the earliest pieces and the stuff that we're going to be looking at specifically today is from like 1994 to 1996, like right in the mid 90s period when this is really kicking off. And this all loosely falls under the umbrella of this kind of movement called net.art, which is a little confusing because the idea of like net art can also just be a synonym for internet art, but there's also kind of a, a more specific like subset of artists um, who are specifically under this umbrella and they are their projects differ from each other widely but they're all defined by being on the internet and sort of pushing the boundaries of like what art on the internet meant at that time slash up to today like a lot of these people obviously since this was really not that long ago are like still very much working um but They also were connected by kind of a loosely shared group of values, which were about exploring the capabilities of the Internet for, like, crossing international borders, this idea of global reach, of exploring different mediums and bringing different kinds of media together, um, as well as sort of the increased interactivity elements of the Internet. And a lot of them were defined by this idea of, like, being of wanting to oppose themselves to the commercial interest of the internet, like basically from the very beginning of the internet, like commercialism very much defined it. um, And that is how most people accessed it. So a lot of artists define themselves by wanting to fight against that, to define themselves as non-commercial, non-consumerist, open to these international dialogues. Um, It helps that there was like basically zero ways to make money doing this like at all. (laughs) It's still rough out there now, but at least like Patreon exists at the time, like this was a complete deviation from like anything (laughs) that could possibly make money. I did actually read an interview from The Guardian. Someone did interview the author, Rachel Green, and one of the questions to her was, like, why is why do you think net art is important? And she did say that she, like, at least her position was she refuses to let commercial interests dominate the history and perception of the net mm. um, and that they, she doesn't want to exclude some of the most important and dynamic content that was on the internet that really shifted these ideas of aesthetics and political ideas as well as experimental ideas and it it is it is true also that yeah the internet is there is a lot of aspects of its its history that is about heavy commercialism and it has helped a lot in terms of you know the market and capitalism for sure it it really is important to note that it's not it wasn't really the only thing and as as a matter of fact it did seem like there was a significant amount of people uh, when the internet was first getting started who really had this optimism of being like more democratic also more able to share freely not not just freely in terms of freedom of speech freely but like freely like giving things away um and while like i guess these days there's criticisms of like you know what whether the internet is actually overall a net positive um thing on humanity and that's not a discussion we need to have in this podcast because that's way too philosophical um but yeah it is important to know that there's like lots of people at this time who kind of saw it in that direction it's funny that you should bring that idea up because another thing that these artists were really pushing back on was the idea of the internet as a utopia. Mm, Interesting. A lot of users of the early internet were like very much falling into sort of like commercial 
spaces and sort of spaces that were defined by companies, even from the beginning. But there also was this kind of grand idea that like the internet was going to be this apolitical utopia. And a lot of the net.art artists were coming out of like Eastern Europe after the end of the Soviet Union. Like that's where a lot of the dominant artists of this period were like located and that's what their history was. So they um, had a lot of cynicism about the world, but also like had this very deeply entrenched idea of social responsibility. And so a lot of them were very cynical about the world and about what the internet was going to be, but they didn't view that as an excuse to give up on it. They kind of interpreted that as their responsibility to push back on and to create their own narratives and to explore what they could make for themselves and what spaces they could make for themselves. Uh, I was actually going to bring this up later, but what you just said kind of remind reminded me of what we have talked about before and something that is kind of close to my experience as well. And that is an artist like Ai Weiwei, who you could argue also, you know, became an artist during this time. And he utilizes the internet a lot and engages in these community-based works, such as getting people to submit their readings of, you know, his performance and things like that, and using Twitter and using social media and using these uh like cross borders international uh, doing these international projects and i think he's an example and i guess you could say i'm an example also of somebody who kind of came out of uh, a really a significant period of time at least in our country where there's a lot of heavy censorship and a lot of not being able to access a lot of stuff including the internet even to this day but again like for me uh, getting a computer and getting on the internet in the mid 90s uh, which at the time there I don't think the great firewall of China was established until later on when they realized too many people <laughs> were looking at stuff that the government weren't happy with but it really was eye opening for someone like me and uh, to a large extent yeah like I am probably quite a cynical person in comparison to others because I'm like oh I was in this place where that had a lot of still has a lot of political instability and I'm not that optimistic about the future Uh, but at the same time I'm like well because we came out of this you know type of environment this is one of the reasons why we want to keep like freedom on the internet and the world in general yeah there's lots of different ways to interpret kind of bad events and like bad images of the world but yeah you can see like even in artists that are associated with like different movements and everything like there's still the same kind of threads running through them that are defined by their cultural context so i am going to show you a few different pieces to kind of demonstrate what people were doing at this time one of the first like well-known art pieces from this movement was called the King's Cross Phone Inn. Um, And so this was in 1994. And it was very simple. It was basically just a web page that had all these telephone numbers that rang the public telephones around London's King Cross station. And then it had information during the day of Friday, 5th of August, 1994, the telephone booth area behind the destination board at King's Cross British Rail Station will be borrowed and used for a temporary cyber cafe. It will be good to concentrate activity around 1800 GMT, but play as you will. So, And then there was a bunch of instructions of what you should and should not do um, when calling these numbers. 
um, including encouraging people to like go to King's Cross Station for themselves and like observe what was happening or to answer the phones by themselves and basically just coordinated like I don't know the world's first flash mob maybe kind of (laughs) but just had all these people from all over the world call into King's Cross Station and then this is a really cool example of what testing the very early capabilities of the internet for public art could be because this was very simple nothing fancy just a plain web page and it used very ordinary objects just like just normal telephones at a train station but it completely transformed the context of those telephones and suddenly like people got involved in it from all over the world and people who were there got involved in it but they didn't even know they just picked up a phone and suddenly they were part (laughs) of a movement that they didn't know was happening I just find this very interesting. And the artist, Heath Bunting, articulated this as bringing high tech to street level, which is so funny to consider a plain (laughs) web page as high tech. But at the time it was. (laughs) But it used like this cutting edge technology uh, back to a sort of old news technology um, in an everyday context. Uh, I I do find it interesting that it is using quote unquote high tech or the internet, but it is to activate telephones, which is still tech and also high tech at a certain point, but probably low tech uh, (laughs) by this point now. And one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, yeah, uh, these works or that uh, that are part of the net dot art movement or net art movements, like how is it that or is it something that really could only be implemented because of the nature of the internet or it cannot be either experienced or inter- implemented in other formats in other forms and i think this is an example of that is that the internet gives the ability to organize these types of events and be able to have so many people participate and whether it's to start a flash mob or having telephones go off uh, in a in a a massive quantity yeah these kinds of things aren't even necessarily about the technology they're about using new technology to connect people in interesting ways and that is one of the things with all of net.art's art pieces like pretty much the definition of it is that they are doing things that are pushing the capabilities of the internet and exploring that in different ways and things that they couldn't do off of the internet. To bring a very different kind example of that kind of thing, there is a piece called My Boyfriend Came Back from the War. This was made by the artist Oya Lialina in 1996. And this is very different. It uses a lot of images, which was like still pretty fun and fresh at the time. Um, the internet was extremely text-based just because like obviously images are so much harder to render and so (laughs) you know the technology was trying to get there but as dial up yeah i mean as opposed to like (laughs) today's very image-based internet it's funny to think of it being mostly text but this was a piece that used a lot of images like very grainy black and white images but images nonetheless um and it was a narrative work uh it was basically this romantic dramatic story uh with the war as a backdrop, this was one of the earliest examples of work in which the user could influence the narrative. So they got to click through and experience it and could actually make decisions that influenced it, which obviously is a precursor to so many things, including, I think, most notably um, narrative-driven video games in which you can change the ending. Yeah, as you are mentioning this interactivity aspect of it, and again, it, it, it is a good example of this 
is something that is very difficult to do with traditional media. I mean, there have been pick your adventure type of books, and I, I've read those as well. Um, so, so it's not impossible, but it's definitely, in my opinion, not the same experience. I think immediately it also reminds me of something we talked about previously. It reminds me of Papers, Please, <laughs> like because of this grainy, early internet, sort of pixelated looking art form. And then also being able to, you know, participate. It's like, oh, well, in that game, you could make decisions and the storyline is going to be different depending on what decisions you make. And text-based video games probably even predates this particular artwork, but um, it does have pre- have precedent and continue to influence types of art today and, and also including video games. A very cool thing about this as well is that it was adapted into a Twitter-based project in 2014. It's called My Boyfriend Live Tweeted the War, and it's linked on the same page that will be in the show notes that's about this piece. Um, but it's basically a series of like Twitter messages that and all of the text on the Twitter messages correspond with the original text from the piece. And you, it's the same, like you can also click through um, and do it like that, but it just appears as these texts instead of um, the original format, which I think is such a cool adaptation into like a uh, almost 20 years later, adapting it to the cutting edge technology of the day. A thought came up in my mind earlier when you started going through some of these works is, so we're talking about these types of non-traditional art movements like you know making art on the internet and again it goes back to what we speak about a lot which is breaking out of this box of the art gallery and that we don't we don't have to be confined by going to a museum and looking at paintings or sculptures on the wall these types of art can be experienced in uh, by pretty much everybody uh, who can have access to a computer and the internet and it is kind of making it more egalitarian. But now I'm just thinking, well, how do we exhibit these artworks in the future? This was a thing that was talked about in the book very directly, because this was a problem from the very beginning, both from people not seeing any value in the art that was being creative, because they were like, well, it's just like, this is just stuff on web pages. We can't exhibit this. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And over the years, there have been, like, basically virtual curations. And so this is a thing where, like, on the flip side of all of that is, like, anyone can be a curator. Like, you can create a web page that has, like, hyperlinks organized according to, like, what order that you personally think that someone should view art and have that web page, like, serve as an art gallery and curating these different pieces, right? And so that's a thing that happens. Like, there were different databases that, that um, gather all of this art together. There were different sites that served as forums for this kind of thing. I'm not going to get too much into that today, but um, places like rhizome.org or The Thing were, like, basically collectives that were places online for artists to talk to each other and collaborate, but also kind of to um, to catalog artworks um, and to keep track of them. And then museums actually started doing exhibits. And so even by like the early 2000s, like museums were doing exhibits of net art um, and they were gathering these kinds of things. I don't know exactly what these looked like. Um, I haven't looked into that yet. But yeah, they. I, I assume that basically, like, they had a bunch of computers, <laughs> and you could look at the <laughs> you could look at the work. Like, I've gone to exhibits of like video games, um, and they have 
you know, images of video games, but they also just like have video game consoles so you can play the games. And so I assume it's it's a very similar kind of thing as that. Well, I think now uh, we've spoken about experiencing art during a pandemic and now that so many art galleries and museums are doing virtual exhibits on their websites and also with Google Arts projects and stuff like that. Literally, there can now be virtual online curated shows or exhibits that people experience and curators can now like put a something on a website or on the internet and have their curatorial comments or their uh, interpretive text comments as well incorporated again it's it should still be done well um or let's hope they still do it well and i'm sure some do so now there can actually be a website or something or an app who knows well i have two more pieces to show you that demonstrate two other kinds of art making from this period one is this amazing website that is still active. Like, you can just go to the website. That's a lot of W's. (laughs) Yeah. So it's www.jody.org. And if you don't want to type that, it will be in the show notes. Thank you very much. But... Uh, this was created by an artist pair who collectively go by the title Jody.org, which rules. Um, and I will say, side note, if you just go to the website Jody.org, there is also – that website is also some kind of strange thing. Like, if you just go to Jody.org, it, like, basically sends you to a different, like, art piece that Jody.org, the collective, has created every time, which is wild. It's so fun to play around with it, um, although I am afraid it's going to break my computer. But this specifically, if you type in all the Ws, you get this piece that they made in 1995 that is still act- still available on the internet, which rules. And if you go to it, it is dark black background with fluorescent green text and it's absolute nonsense like it's just nonsense (laughs) here's the trick if you go to view and then view source code on your browser then it shows you the source code and those are drawings you get these images you get these little diagrams the source code it's like a hidden illustration in the source code oh my god this is so cool isn't that amazing like you everybody just has to try this it's so cool (laughs) and like as somebody who who has like you know not for years but has made websites in html and css i feel like i could just have so much fun with this like this might be what i'm doing later tonight is just to look through some of these pages but this is kind of wild yeah this page with the green just fluorescent green text and um, when you click on it, it goes to another page with like, it looks like some type of topographic map overlaid with um, text and random symbols and then and words that don't seem to make a lot of sense. And then you can click on those as well. It seems like a rabbit hole that you can really get into, but also it is a little bit, it is a little bit too much sometimes right now because I'm like, oh my God, I have so much work to do. And this is now just so so much for my brain <laughs> to handle. Yeah, yeah. You can totally click through on tons of stuff and get 
so many weird things and nothing will ever make sense um because that's not what they do but yeah if you if you are bored just go to jody.org and play around with whatever you get and then do go to jody.org again and it'll give you something else and just do this forever um and i haven't run out yet i don't know how many there are but there are apparently a lot i just randomly clicked i don't even know how i got there of just some looping gif or gif of I want to say Super Mario, but it's in completely red and there's it looks like an Andy Warhol. It's overlaid on the screen. It's crazy. I got to close this right now. It's kind of giving me a bit of a seizure. <laughs> so, like. Yeah. So these these two were pioneers in technological abstraction, which is quite clear by looking at all of this stuff. Um, and the www whatever jody.org is the specific piece that was included in this book but then like clearly they, they are still actively working like they do tons of stuff all the time and are always playing around with like stretching the limits of what a web page can do and what they can do to it without actually breaking it all the way which is pretty amazing i actually honestly think i'm gonna have so many posts that i can post on like internet is beautiful or whatever on reddit later tonight <laughs> it's, it's, there's I mean, which I'm sure has already been posted or actually, I don't know if it's already been posted before. I was going to like one of the things that I was wondering is, oh, I wonder if Quinn's going to bring up anything that I've seen before. And now I'm pretty sure the answer is no. But I think the answer is no, just because the Internet is one of these examples of there are just so many niches and so many like corners of the Internet that no, either no one knows about it or maybe even a significant amount of people know about but because there's so many people in the world and so many things and so much that you know that's just not humanly possible for everyone to always discover like it's endless you you can never you can never discover everything and never even discover every cool or interesting thing on the internet yeah apparently even just jody.org by itself is endless so <laughs> there's a lot out <laughs> so, there yeah so, Quinn, for the rest of our lives, we will just be looking at Jody.org, and that's all we will be doing. <laughs> I have one final piece to show you to wrap this up. Um, and this is a piece known as Net.art per se, otherwise known as CNN Interactive. And so uh, the link that I have included is basically like this sort of capture of what this site looked like. Um, this was a piece that was put out in 1996. And the stuff that we were talking about earlier in sort of a reaction against, like, capitalism <laughs> and um, a lot of the dominant ideas of the early internet, this was a very direct pushback against that those things. So this was a recreation of what the CNN website looked like back in um, this time. But, like, everything on it was instead having to do with this, like, um, little art convention they were having. But, like, all of these links go to different places on the internet. Like, a bunch of them go to, like, Catholic websites, um, all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and it's important to remember that at this time, like, CNN Interactive as a website was, like, extremely closely associated. It was basically a, just a synonym for, like, the constant american media coverage and frankly the propaganda that surrounded the first gulf war um and so this was directly a commentary on that just a clarification so was this affiliated with cnn at oh, all no. like is cnn even aware <laughs> oh, okay okay I, I just wanted to make sure like because again it's it, early internet it's like it's hard to tell and and 
I won't even get into it, but like whitehouse.com was a pornographic website for a very long time and or something like that. So um, anyway, it's that. It, but these things, honestly, to me, it's hilarious. I'm sure the media companies and or the White House were not impressed <laughs> with these types of things. But this is ubiquitous now, like making sort of fake versions of websites or like being like fake campaign websites for political candidates like you don't you don't like this is a super common. But like this was basically the first time anyone ever did this was like um, parodying a mainstream websites. <laughs> and so in it all, like it basically blurs together these sort of very mainstream corporate websites and linking to these sort of corporate ideas blurred with this text about the art movement that they're having or like links to some of um the art sites that they deem like artistic and things like that and so it's almost like pop art in a way like it's very sort of uh, uh appropriating popular media but like using the imagery of that media to comment on it so like i said in the beginning we're going to come back to these kinds of topics. I basically <laughs> covered chapter one in some of the stuff I talked about today. There are That's so great. many interesting, specific movements that we're going to come back to in future episodes just because, like, there's it's it's delicious. Um, it's so fun. So if you like this episode, let us know and we'll make more sooner rather than later. If you didn't like it, I guess you can also let us know that. Oh, I, I did earlier. Yeah, when we were talking about the curations and uh, like when I asked the question of how would we exhibit these and I'm like, honestly, uh, I know we like to uh, self-proclaim ourselves on these <laughs> podcast episodes a lot. We could be art curators, you know, a pictorial episode and with links to these artworks is a contemporary curation of of art, of internet art. So... We have we're curators now, Quinn. Yeah, in a way, every episode's show notes is an art gallery. If you think about it, don't think about it too hard, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pictorial. You can find our show notes, those that art gallery we made, at relay.fm/pictorial, <laughs> and you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. If you want to, you can also find me on Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ArticulationsV. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also upload these episodes to YouTube under Pictorial Podcast, which we now have a YouTube link, youtube.com slash pictorial. You can get there and you can see uh, sometimes these episodes are uploaded, uploaded a little bit later after we upload the initial podcast episodes, but you can watch along and uh, look at what we speak about while it goes by on the screen it's gonna be a wild one for that i can tell you that right now <laughs> thanks for listening art enthusiasts i just almost hung up on you instead of um ending my recording but